Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning. It is a Saturday morning and we're getting ready. We're getting going here. How are you guys doing? I rushed up here after getting the coffee stuff all set up and and didn't even glance at what's going on in this day in trivia. So we'll go over there together and see what's there on the 8th today. We'll see um, <laughs> a speaker of truth has no friends. African proverb. <laughs> That's somewhat true. I though I think we as Christians are the speakers of truth, and uh, and we have a lot of friends. You guys are we're all friends. So that, that um, I guess it's only true when you're standing up in the culture. The Great Chicago Fire, uh, October eighth, eighteen seventy one, not started by the, the cow. Three point three square miles of Chicago was destroyed. More than two hundred and fifty people are killed. 100,000 to 300,000 residents are left homeless. And um, Chicago had been in a drought. And it was it was reported that Mrs. O'Leary's cow had started the fire when knocked over a, uh, you know, a, a lantern kind of a thing. Uh, there's interesting indications now from some historians that have looked at this that it could have been a small meteor, a meteorite that actually struck the earth because there was two or three fires not that far apart and uh, there was meteor showers that day uh not never could be proven but there's some interesting theories on that and i believe it was from this fire that spatton i can't remember his name wrote the song it is well with my soul he had left on the ship to england it was going to take his wife and his daughter with him uh, but the fire struck and he had a bunch of he had businesses that burned down in chicago so he had to stay behind. He let his two daughters and wife go on ahead of him on a ship bound for London, I believe. And he was going to catch the next ship over. The ship encountered a huge storm. And both his daughters and his wife died. From that, when he took the next ship over to England, he wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. If I have all my facts right, you guys can check me on that. It was the result. Uh, this fire is what kept him from going on the ship with his family. So the Great Chicago Fire, tra- tragic thing. It was in 1871 on this day. Hmm, let's see. James Frank Dur- uh, Drury, Duria, born in October 8, 1869. He was the one that built the first successful gas-powered car in the U.S. I found this interesting because we always think Henry Ford he was the one that really made the assembly line and made them popular to buy but the inventor was James Frank Drury I believe it's what it's pronounced hmm. let's look over at the dad jokes for today and I have to go back to my place find where I left off yesterday we're getting close Okay, I think I can. I think I found it. The difference between a numerator and a denominator is a short line. Only a fraction of people will understand this. <laughs> that is very true. 
And I just, silly me, I just hit the, just hit the wrong button and I lost my joke. Coming back into the jokes again. Then I found one that was really good after it. Let's see. Hmm. I can get any one of these, but I'm trying to get right in the, right where I left off so I, I don't miss any as we go through. Okay, here we are, here we are. I found a wooden shoe in my toilet today. It was clogged. That's quite a week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the next one. I just broke up with my mathematician girlfriend. She was obsessed with an X. <laughs> All you mathematicians out there better appreciate that one. Okay, now we're ready to get started today. Turn over in your Bibles to Second Chronicles 35. Father, we ask that you would guide us in our reading today. And show us the truths of your word, how these all things relate, how they're connected to, to the book of Kings, even the book of Daniel, and how we can gain a full, uh, not only understanding, but appreciation for the way you work in the human heart and the way you're always trying to guide us back into relationship with you and the blessings that we receive when we do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Chronicles 35, then Josiah celebrated the Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. And they slaughtered the Passover animals on the 14th day of the first month. He set the priests in their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. He also said to the Levites, who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house which Solomon the son of David, king of Israel, built. It will be a burden on your shoulders no longer. Now, Serve the Lord your God and his people Israel. Prepare yourselves by your father's households in your divisions according to the writing of David, king of Israel, and according to the writing of his son Solomon. Moreover, stand in the holy place according to the sections of the father's households, your brethren, the lay people, and according to the Levites by the divisions of a father's household. Now slaughter the Passover animals, sanctify yourselves, and prepare for your brethren to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Josiah contributed to the lay people and to all who were present, flocks and lambs and young goats, all for the Passover offering, numbering 30,000 plus 3,000 bulls. These were from the king's possessions. His officers also contributed a freewill offering to the people, the priests and the Levites, Hilkiah and Zechariah, and Jael, the, the officials of the house of God, gave to the priests for the Passover offering 2,600 from the flock and 3,000 bulls. Quananiah also and Shemaiah and Nathaniel, his brother, and Heshaviah and Jeliel and Josabad and the officers of the Levites contributed to the, the Levites for the Passover and offering 5,000 from the flock and 500 bulls. So the service was prepared and the priests stood at the stations and the Levites by their divisions according to the king's command. They slaughtered the Passover animals and while the priests sprinkled the blood received from their hand, the Levites skinned them. They removed from the burnt offerings 
that they might give them to the sections of the father's households of the lay people and present to the Lord as it is written in the book of Moses. They did this also with the bulls. So they roasted the Passover animals on the fire according to the ordinances, and they boiled the holy things in the pots and kettles and pans and carried them speedily to all the lay people. Afterwards, they prepared for themselves and for the priests, because the priests and the sons of Aaron were offering the burnt offerings and the fat until night. Therefore, the Levites prepared for themselves and for the priests and the sons of Aaron. The singers, the sons of Asaph, were also at their stations according to the command of David. Asaph, Heman, and Juduthan, the king's seer, and the gatekeepers at each gate did not have to depart from their service because the Levites, their brethren, prepared for them. So all the service of the Lord was prepared on that day to celebrate the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. Thus the sons of Israel who were present celebrated the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days There had not been celebrated a Passover like it in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet, nor had any of the kings of Israel celebrated such a Passover as Josiah did with the priests and the Levites, all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 16th year of Josiah's reign, this Passover was celebrated. 20. After all this, when Josiah had set the temple in order, Necho, the king of Egypt, came up to make war at Carchemish on the Euphrates, and Josiah went out to engage him. Now Necho sent messengers to him, saying, What have we to do with each other, O king of Judah? I am not coming against you today, but against the house of which I am at war, and God has ordered me to hurry. Stop for your own sake from interfering with God who is with me, so that he will not destroy you. However, Josiah would not turn away from him, but disguise himself in order to make war with him. Nor did he listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to make war on the plains of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Josiah. And the king said to his servant, Take me away, for I am badly wounded. So his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in the second chariot, which he had, and brought him to Jerusalem, where he died, and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Then Jeremiah chanted a lament for Josiah. And all the male and female singers speak about Josiah in their lamentations to this day. And they made them an ordinance in Israel. They are also written in the lamentations. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his deeds of devotion are written in the law of the Lord. And his acts, first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Chapter 36. Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, then Jehoiachin rule the three different kings. Verse 1. Then the people of the land took Jehoahaz, the son of Josiah, and made him king in place of his father in Jerusalem. Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Then the king of Egypt deposed him at Jerusalem and imposed on the land a fine of 100 talents of silver and one talent of gold. 
the king of Egypt made Elikim, his brother, king over Judah and Jerusalem, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But Necho took Jehoahaz, his brother, and brought him to Egypt. Jehoiakim was 25 years old and became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him, bound him with bronze chains to take him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also brought some of the articles of the house of the Lord to Babylon to put them in his temple at Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and the abominations which he did and what was found against him, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. And Jehoiachin, his son, became king in his place. Jehoiachin was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned three months and ten days in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 10. At the turn of the year, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with viable articles of the house of the Lord and made his kinsmen Zedekiah king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah, the prophet who spoke for the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear allegiance by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Furthermore, all the officials and the priests and the people who were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their father, sent word to them again and again by the messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, scoffed at the prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on the young man or the virgin, old man or the, uh, the infirm. He gave them all to his hand. All the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his officials, he brought them all to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its fortified buildings with fire, and destroyed all its valuable articles. Those who had escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation it kept Sabbath until 70 years was completed. Verse 22. Now in the first year of Cyrus the king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus king of Persia so that he sent a proclamation throughout the kingdom and he also put it in writing saying, Thus says Cyrus king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Boy, there's so much in these two chapters. Hard to know where to begin. But the um, 
overlying thing is good King Josiah does everything right in worship but makes a drastic mistake in battle. He goes up against Pharaoh, Necho, Balakar Kamish. At this time, Assyria has gained control. The, the Amorite people, I guess, essentially, they had been dominating, and Josiah is kind of a vassal king. Uh, he's, he's subservient to them. They have dominant power. Which is strange because now they've reenacted the Passover and they've reenacted, they've cleaned out the temple. You would think that God would now come before them and, and win all their battles and that he would, could go out and win this battle. But the thing is, he was going out to fight it. Egypt was coming up against the Assyrians. The Assyrians had dominated and they, he was a vassal to the Assyrians. So he was going up to fight against Egypt on, on behalf of the Assyrian Empire. So not fighting it as directed by God, not fighting it for the protection of Israel as a sovereign state, but as a servant and vassal to Assyria. Is that the reason why God allowed him to be shot and killed? Don't know. It just doesn't seem like that was God's will for him at that time. Even though he was doing such a wonderful, wonderful thing, and had cleaned out the temple, and they were now worshiping, and you'd think this is the one time they need a strong, godly leader right then, right at that moment. But they had gone so far in the rebellion, and God obviously knew the hearts of the people that even though he had reformed, the people had not. You cannot legislate righteousness, has been said, and he was trying to legislate and bring it back. And while this is, was the right modeling, the right direction for the country, the people's hearts were still wicked. And we see this in his sons. As soon as they get in power, they, they defile the temple again, and everything goes back to the way it was. And so we see his sons going into captivity, you know, um, first in Assyria, Assyria, and then Assyria finds that they're not only Babel, um, fighting against Egypt, but they're also fighting against Babylon. They're declining, and so now these other superpowers are, are coming up and rising up in power. And so Babylon then finally rises up into power, and takes dominance, Egypt goes away, Assyria goes away, and they come in and they set up their vassal king, Zedekiah, now becomes the guy they set up to be in power. But he's, um, he's not faithful to them. He doesn't rely on the Lord. He re- just relies on himself. He wants to rebel. He gets upset. He doesn't seek the God like jo- um, Josiah did but just thinks, I'm king, I'm going to rebel, whatever the, the thing was. And so he comes, and he's, uh, he's finally taken down to Babylon, a horrible situation there. And they, this is the first great deportation and the destruction of Babylon, which was prophesied by Jeremiah. This Zedekiah hated Jeremiah because he kept saying, God's going to come and wipe you out. You need to trust the Lord. You need to trust, trust God, trust the Lord. He wouldn't do that. So he's now taken away. And uh, we have the first deportation. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, now we could go over there and start reading all about the the deportation, the destruction of Jerusalem. Very sad. So a lot going on there. Acts 26. Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. And Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. 
In regard to all the things of which I'm accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I'm about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in the customs and the questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. So then all the Jews know my matter, manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem, since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. And now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O King, I am being accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does not raise the dead? So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And it is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them, often in the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. While so engaged as I was journeying to, to Damascus with the authority to and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when I had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I kept declaring both to those in Damascus first and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. 
King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, In a short time you would persuade me to become a Christian. Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short time or long time, not only you but all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. The king stood up and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with them. And when they had gone aside, they began talking to one another, saying, This man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So there you go. Did Paul make a, make a mistake appealing to Caesar? No, because God told him that he was going to send him there. God told him he was going to use him to go before the, the great and the small. God had a mission for him. And so I believe this was God's will. God wanted him to go there. And he, now he's speaking to the first rulers of the Gentiles, getting the gospel, straight gospel. Jesus prophesied by the prophets, foretold to come, that he would come and die, that he would raise from the dead so that he would bring light to the world. All who would believe in him receive forgiveness of sins. What a tremendous evangelist Paul is there standing before King Agrippa, who knew the prophets. Witnessing to religious people are the hardest people to, to witness to. They think they have it all figured out, and they think, well, you're crazy. What do you mean? It's You think just a relationship with Jesus, is that's it? No religious works, no mass, no lighting of candles, no great works, no you know, suffering unto sainthood to enter into the kingdom of God, and the people think you're out of your mind. You say, no, that's just what he says. That's what the Bible says. And it's uh, we can gain a lot from Paul's conversation here about the simplicity and the directness of the message. Paul didn't sugarcoat it. He just said what it was. And notice how many times he mentioned repentance. You must repent. There's this there's this kind of new thing going around the church, and and I had a guy come into our church one time and said, you know, I don't see anywhere where the Bible talks about the need for a believer to repent. I'm going, what Bible are you reading? He thought it was all about just asking God for forgiveness, that that it was enough to ask for forgiveness. And I, I this is stuff that floats around on the Internet. Repentance is to feel remorse for it's it's to say you're sorry. Say, God, I am a sinner, and everything I've done this wrong. It's to have that brokenness about you, to know that you have been rebellious against God and done things the wrong way, and not done what He asked you to do. So to ask for forgiveness without repentance is, well, you've seen those of us that are parents. You've seen your kids do it. You know, did you come home late? Did you break my rules and take the car or did you, whatever it is? Yeah, sorry. Right? When they go, yeah, sorry. They're asking forgiveness, right? There's no brokenness. There's no repentance in their heart. When people do that to you, what's it do? It makes you mad. It's like, wait a minute, you're not, you don't really mean that. You said it, but you don't mean it. And it's the same thing with God, only more so. He's holy and he's offered us you know, we are being, he, he went to die for us so that we wouldn't have to receive the punishment for our sin. And, and so when we blow it, we, we should 
fall on our face over and over saying thank you God that you went and received the, the stripes from my you took the punishment for my sin you hung there for me and I'm so sorry that I hurt you that I did this that I, I went off course that I sinned and we see that was every time that's what saves these kings when they get off track when they blow it we certainly saw it in David's life should have been dead for those sins, but he would fall on his face, and it was he would. And God would say, "Because I saw, I heard your, I heard your prayer, and I saw that you were remorseful, that you were sorry for what you did." It, it always seems to be added there. God not only heard the prayer, but He saw that they were broken, that they had torn their clothes, they had put on the sackcloth and ashes. And so God does look at the condition of our heart, not just our words. We confess that Jesus is Lord. Claim him as Lord, but there needs to be a brokenness for our sin. That's probably why my salvation was kind of a two-phase thing. Thinking about it, I didn't really just put it together, but it, um, I remember admitting I was wrong and at a Bible study in Romans and saying, yeah, you're right, Lord, and asking just, you're right, you're Lord, and I acknowledge you're Lord. But it wasn't until two weeks later when I went to the Christian concert and there was an altar call and I, I was broken that um, that I felt there was a, um, how would we say, a ratification of my salvation. kind of knew then those two weeks that I was saved, but when that happened and I was totally broken over my sin, God had to show me how bad a sin is and that we can't sugarcoat it, we can't justify it. Then it was... Then the, my my kind of my life in Christ was sealed in the Spirit. In my own estimation, I think God's kingdom. I was probably saved and sealed that moment I confessed it because it was sincere. But um, I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting how these things work. So, with that being said, let's move on to Charles Spurgeon. Never alone. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, Isaiah 62.4. Forsaken is a dreary word. It sounds like a nil. It is the record of sharpest arrows and the prophecy of direst ills. An abyss of misery yawns in that word forsaken. Forsaken by one who pledges his honor. Forsaken by a friend so long tried and trusted. Forsaken by a dear relative, forsaken by father and mother, forsaken by all. This is woe indeed, and yet it may be patiently borne if the Lord will take us up. But what must it be to feel forsaken of God? Think of the bitterest of cries. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Have we ever in any degree tasted the wormwood and the gall of forsaken in that sense? If so, let us beseech our Lord to save us from any repetition of so unspeakable a sorrow. Oh, that such a darkness may never return. Men of malice said of a saint, God hath forsaken him. Persecute and take him, but it is always false. The Lord's loving favor shall compel our cruel foes to eat their own words, or at least to hold their tongues. The reverse of all this is that the superlative word, hefsipa, I guess it's a Hebrew word, 
the Lord delighteth in thee. This turns weeping into dancing. Let those who dreamed that they were forsaken hear the Lord say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Well, there you go. You've got to see that the Lord is in every situation, no matter how cruel and, and how it is as a believer there may be those that will always try and come against us and say God is not with them. God is abandoning them. But he says the Lord is assuredly there. And uh, and God will never forsake us. He, he, he forsake his son on the cross for a time to bear the sins of our sins for the entire world so that he, we would never have to be forsaken from any that time onward if we call upon him. It's a beautiful promise. And it is something we should dwell on and meditate on a lot. Well, Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for bringing us to this place where we can pray and seek your face, and um, thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives. We do see a lot of very interesting um, examples being given to us by people in positions of authority that are operating on a on the shall I say the global stage of power structures um, coming against each other great battles being fought on the physical and the spiritual and we see in all aspects the one commonality of it all is faithfulness to you those that are faithful to you and will put their trust in you you will n- never cast out and you will always honor whether they're whether their bodies or our bodies remain on this earth or not, you will always honor that faithfulness to them. Josiah was killed in battle, but he was honored before you. And all those after all of the singers made laments and they all sang of the of the greatness of Josiah. He was not remembered for the defeat in battle, but for the greatness of his dedication in his heart to you. And what a wonderful thing, because kings are always remembered for their battles but not when they're faithful men. Those that are faithful to you are remembered for glorifying you and following you and being faithful to you, the same as Paul. Paul being a prisoner. Prisoner arrested and accused of horrible crimes, basically a felon, was never is never remembered for being a, a felon and an enemy of the state. He's remembered for his faithfulness to you and his godliness and his boldness of speaking out to the most powerful people in the world who seem to have it all, and yet telling them that they're, they're the ones in prison, they're the ones that are hurting and lost. Thank you for these, these truths, God, so that we don't get ourselves deceived, that we think just because that we have a weak position of authority, a weak position before the governing people and the power structures in this world, that we're somehow less than they or they have a greater position. We know we are your ambassadors. We know we are the ones that are bringing your word to the lost world, to those that are in prison. So thank you for this truth. And in that, we pray for our brothers and sisters that are out there doing the work. We thank you for the evangelism team and, and the, all the opportunities they had to share your word. The cool, the just blessings, God, that always happen when they, they talk to people. Uh, and those that are out doing it all the time, all over the place. Churches that are reaching out. Thank you for Esty and, and her um, her team there in Italy, reaching out on the radio and in town in Turin and sharing your word with so many people. Continue to bless that work, God. 
as well as Micah in, in, um, in Virginia, being such a dynamic Calvary there. We thank you for them and our fellowship with them. Also the one in Knoxville. Thank you for Albuquerque and their, their huge worldwide outreach, the radio ministry, teaching ministry of Skip. Thank you for all they're doing. And here in Mexico, the Calvaries that are growing, expanding all the time, even down uh, south and Cruz de Loreto. God, for your planting of Calvary down there. Thank you for the work going on there. May you bless it abundantly. I want to pray for Juan Carlos's treatment, radiation treatment, that it continue to go on today and you keep him healthy through it as much as possible, God, that you help him be able to withstand it and especially eat through all this where it's so difficult at times from my understanding to feel good, not feel um, nauseous. So we pray for that. Pray you help him get through it. Pray for all those others that have gone through the treatment that they stay clean and not have to go back and they stay cancer-free. Pray for everyone that's had it that they continue to stay cancer-free and that you continue to heal our broken bodies, Father. So thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. Pray for the sanity and, and the safety of the world now as Russia is saber-rattling with nuclear weapons. God, anything could transpire at any moment, we know, so we just put our trust in you and ask that you send your ambassadors physically, God, to these people that are on the brink of beginning a nuclear war and bring balance and bring answers, God. May your wisdom prevail in all these things. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. That will do it for today. So thank you guys so much. Um, tomorrow, you guys know the drill. Tomorrow you will be on your own, unless you want to listen to the podcast. It'll be Zephaniah 1 through 3. Zephaniah 1 through 3. If you want to read it. And um, this may be on the podcast tomorrow, and the podcast might be Zephaniah 1 3 on Monday. But be that as it may, you guys just um, hang in there. And uh, we will see you in church tomorrow, 9 o'clock. Please join us. And if not, we'll see you for men for breakfast on Monday. So God bless you all very much. Keep looking up. Bye-bye.